Good morning, everyone. All right. If you're here for the first time, let me also welcome you to Chantilly Bible Church. My name is Izzy, and I'm one of the deacons here at CBC. Uh, it's so good to see you all here this morning, and it's a real joy to come before you as we study God's Word together. Uh, next week, our church will start a new sermon series called Encountering Jesus, which will look at how people's lives were changed when they met Jesus. But today, we're going to look at an Old Testament encounter with God. The story of Jacob wrestling with God is one of the most mysterious stories in the Bible. But it's a story that has tremendous implications for you and me. Uh, because, you see, every single one of us wrestles with God in our innermost being. In areas of our lives where we have a hard time being honest with our pastors, our closest friends, and maybe even with ourselves. So today, by the end of the sermon, if you feel a little uncomfortable, I want to reassure you that it's okay. Wrestling with God brings blessing. Because through wrestling with God, we find that the blessing we need is really God himself. And it's no coincidence that I'm preaching this message today. All of you know me as Izzy, but many of you also know that my real name is Israel. And you may be wondering, how does a Chinese-American kid get to be named Israel? My story is that when I was born, my parents named me Israel because it sounded similar to my Chinese name. It says Israel on my birth certificate and social security card. But when I started going to elementary school, I didn't want to be called Israel. That sounded like a weird name to me. There was nobody in my class named Israel. Why couldn't my parents name me Mike or Matt or John? So very interesting, my father told me that I could go by Jacob instead. And although I didn't fully understand it at that time, my father told me that Jacob was just another name for Israel. And go by Jacob I did, all through high school and part of college, the name Jacob is in my elementary school, middle school, and high school records. And then in college, something happened to me, and I became Israel. And the story of how my name got changed has a lot to do with today's passage from Scripture. Before we get to the story of Jacob wrestling with God in Genesis 32, we need to lead up to that story and talk about how Jacob gets to that point. Genesis 12, God promises Abraham that he would make his family a great nation that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed by God. Abraham and Sarah give birth to a son, Isaac, who eventually marries Rebekah. In Genesis 25, verse 22, Rebekah is pregnant with twins, Jacob and Esau, who wrestle inside of her womb. When she inquires of the Lord, the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. This is very significant. In those days, the birth order determined who inherited what. The older son received the birthright, the special privileges, like a double portion of the inheritance, and the father's authority when he passed. Here, Rebecca gets a message from God that the younger son will be the one who receives the birthright, not the older. So in Genesis 25:24, we read these words. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all of his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau, which means red. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so that his name was called Jacob. 
Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. In Hebrew, the name Jacob, or Yaakov, means one who grasps the heel. Akov is the word for heel. So to say somebody is Yaakov literally means healer, H-E-E-L-E-R, like a trickster or a supplanter. To grab someone by the heel is to trip them up when they're not looking. So in Genesis 25:29, when Esau gets hungry after hunting and wants some stew, Jacob, who is cooking the stew, says to Esau that he'll give him a bowl of stew for his birthright, to which Esau agrees because he thinks, what good is a birthright if I'm starving to death? But ask yourself, was it right for Jacob to take advantage of his brother in this way? You know, Jacob uses stew again in Genesis 27, this time to con his father Isaac. When Isaac is old and nearly blind, he asks Esau to go hunt game, make it into a stew, and bring it to him so he can bless Esau to give Esau a blessing before he dies. But Rebekah hears of it and schemes with Jacob to steal it away from Esau. While Rebekah makes a stew, Jacob puts on Esau's clothes and wears goatskin on his hands and neck so they feels hairy to Isaac's touch, like Esau would. Now Isaac is suspicious and asks Jacob, how did you hunt game so fast? And are you really Esau? Jacob says, yep, it's me, Esau. And Isaac gives him the blessing that he intended for Esau. And when Esau finds out that Jacob has cheated him out of both his birthright and out of his father's blessing, he decides to kill Jacob. But Rebekah hears about it and warns Jacob, and Jacob has to flee for his life. Okay, let's pause here. Remember God's message to Rebekah that God has chosen Jacob to be the greater brother? Why does Jacob cheat Esau out of his birthright and blessing of the firstborn? The Bible Project podcast, which is a great podcast, by the way, puts it this way, quote, Ironically, the blessing that Jacob steals is one God destined for him all along. Jacob is either unaware of what God said about him, or he just can't believe it. So he spends his energy trying to scheme and seize the very thing God has promised him. This is a very important point. If God has promised and destined Jacob for blessing, why do Jacob and Rebekah feel they have to scheme to get what God has promised all along? I think the issue comes down to one thing, trust. As I preached two weeks ago on the book of Ruth, when we trust God, we take risks and we make plans. We act boldly, but we leave the results up to God. What we don't do is lie, cheat, and steal in order to get what we want. Because when we lie, cheat, and steal, we're placing trust in ourselves, not in God. Let me ask a probing question for all of you to consider. In what ways do we act similarly like Jacob and Rebekah? Do we ever hurt others because we're not trusting in God fully to bring about what he has promised? In Genesis 28.10, while fleeing for his life, Jacob rests by the side of the road and falls asleep. He has a dream of a ladder from earth to heaven with angels of God ascending and descending. And in that dream, God tells him in verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, 
your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and ye shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Again, God tells Jacob the same promise that he made to his grandfather Abraham. Why? Because Jacob is a good person, worthy of God's blessing? Actually, God tells Jacob this because of the promises he made to Abraham. He still intends on fulfilling them, despite Jacob's scheming. It is God's faithfulness, not Jacob's righteousness, that is at work here. In Genesis 29, we find Jacob working for his uncle Laban in Haran. His uncle promises that he can marry Rachel, his younger daughter, after seven years of work. Jacob works faithfully for seven years and gets married. But in the morning after the wedding, he finds out he's married the older daughter, Leah. When Jacob confronts Laban about his deceit, Laban shrugs and says, hey, the custom is to give away the oldest daughter first. So now Jacob has to work another seven years in order to marry Rachel. Do you feel bad for Jacob? Don't. He's getting what he deserves. After cheating his brother Esau, the cheater himself has been cheated by another cheater who is better at cheating than he is. At cheating. The Bible's a funny book sometimes, isn't it? Right? So, to make a long story short, right, we're going to fast forward uh, to Genesis 32, where Jacob, now married with Leah and Rachel, and all his household are journeying back to the land of Canaan. And now we get to Genesis 32 at long last. Feels like we've been a long journey together, doesn't it? So there's some unfinished business that Jacob is worried about. Do you all remember his brother Esau? He's probably not gotten over how Jacob cheated him. So in Genesis 32, Jacob sends messengers to his brother Esau with messages of peace, thinking that this will placate his brother. But his messengers report back in verse 6 that Esau is coming to meet him with 400 men. Jacob panics. He divides his family into two separate camps so that the destruction of one will let the other one survive an attack. And he sends multiple droves of sheep, goats, camels, cows, and donkeys towards Esau as presents to placate him and to stave off Esau's revenge. As he is doing so, Jacob prays a desperate prayer. Let's pick it up in Genesis 32, verse 9. Genesis 32, verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown your servant. With only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, quote, I will surely do you good, and make your offspring as a sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Jacob sends everyone, his family and his flock, over the river. 
and he's left alone, a bundle of fear and anxiety. This is the pivotal moment of Jacob's life. From the very beginning of his life, he's been a schemer and a cheater, but now he realizes he can scheme and cheat his way out of the situation that he's in. And so Jacob is wondering whether this meeting with Esau is going to end up with him getting what he deserves. After all, his cheating of Esau out of his birthright and blessing is what started his exile journey. Will Esau finally get his revenge on Jacob? Will Jacob get what he deserves? But what about God's promises that he will settle Jacob in Canaan in peace? Are those blessings going to be unfulfilled because of what Jacob has done in his life? Will karma prevail? Or will God's promises prevail? Who or what will win? In his fear and anxiety, Jacob has all of these questions. When we face our fears and anxieties, we also have these questions. We want God to give us answers. But maybe what we need most in those times is not answers, but God himself. Let's read what happens next. Genesis 32, verse 4. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. As I said before, this is one of the most mysterious stories in the Bible. Jacob is alone at night when a man appears out of nowhere and starts to wrestle him until the break of day. Now, because I'm not a wrestler, for this sermon, I did a little research and I called Frank Notarangelo. Frank and his wife Charlene were members of our community group for many years and dear friends here at CBC. Frank is one of the most athletic guys I know. He wrestled in high school, in college, and he still coaches his grandson in wrestling today, which I think is really cool. Frank tells me that when you get into a wrestling ring, the goal is to dominate and control the other person's movements. In high school, wrestling matches are six minutes long. In college, they're seven minutes. Frank says that these matches are so tiring, they feel like the longest six or seven minutes of your life. Here, Jacob has been wrestling for hours. It must have been absolutely exhausting. When the man sees he cannot dominate Jacob, with just a touch, he dislocates Jacob's hip. Now, I asked Frank, uh, how much does it hurt to have this happen to you while wrestling in real life? And Frank said to me something like, it hurts a lot. But Jacob won't let go. He wants a blessing from the man. So instead of giving him a blessing right away, the man gives him a new identity. The man says, your name is no longer Jacob, heel grabber or cheater, but Israel, the one who perseveres with God. And when Jacob asks the man his name, the man says, why do you ask my name? It is at this moment that everything clicks for Jacob. He hasn't been wrestling with a mere man. 
He's been wrestling with God himself. Who can dislocate a hip with just a touch? Who gives new names to people? Whose name is so grand, so majestic, that it cannot be uttered? There's only one person like that, God. And in the end, it is God giving Jacob his blessing, the thing he has been scheming for his entire life. Let's pick it up in verse 30. Verse 30, it reads, So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Commentators have many opinions about this passage. Some say this was just another dream, but I disagree. Dreams don't actually dislocate your hip. The prophet Hosea in Hosea 12 refers to the man as an angel. And there's a distinct possibility uh, this man, uh, that the man was an angel of the Lord who appears at various places in the Old Testament to deliver God's messages. Some even go so far as to say that the man is the appearance of the protochrist in the Old Testament, that is, the appearance of God as man. So whatever opinion you have, though, the wrestling match that Jacob has is with God. Now, why did God wrestle with Jacob at all? Well, I think the answer has to do with Jacob's life. All his life, Jacob has been striving to get his way. He's been fighting, contending, and wrestling for blessing. So God appears in the form of a man and wrestles with Jacob. Because Jacob isn't wrestling with others, the wrestling he is doing in his life is actually with God. And when Jacob realizes this, he asks the man for a blessing. Jacob realizes that all his striving is for nothing. The real source of his life blessings are not a result of his striving, his scheming, his cheating. The real source of his blessing is from God. Now, why does God wrestle with Jacob in the form of a man? God is so powerful, couldn't he have picked another form, like a bear, a lion, or like Godzilla? All right? But by choosing to become a man, God is bringing himself down to Jacob's level. When Jacob is wrestling with God, God is both wrestling against him and for him at the same time. For Jacob could not wrestle God unless God allowed himself to be wrestled with. This is a foreshadowing of a future time in which God is born on earth in the form of a man so that humans could know God in a human way. God brings himself down to our level so that we can know him. And when Jacob asks God for a blessing, what does God do? Does God give him more sheep and more goats? Does God give him a new wife who isn't bitter like Leah or jealous like Rachel? Uh, does God give him a new army to fight off Esau? No. What God blesses Jacob with is what Jacob really needs, a new identity. By giving him the new name of Israel, God is telling Jacob that he's no longer a cheater and a schemer. In essence, he's saying to him, you don't have to cheat your way through life, Jacob. You have struggled with God, and you prevail with God and with man. Why? Because it was only through his wrestling that Jacob discovered that God was the source of his blessing, and that he was fighting so hard for the thing that God had already given him even before he was born, the promises of a faithful God. The sources of blessing for Jacob's life could only be God. Jacob didn't do anything to deserve God's blessing. What does a cheater, schemer, and con artist do to deserve being blessed by a holy God? Answer, nothing. But Jacob's blessing does not depend upon him, but upon the God who is faithful to his promises, despite every wrong thing that Jacob had done 
and had been done to him. So what happens after Jacob becomes Israel? And Jacob lifted up his eyes. This is Genesis 33, verse 1. And Jacob lifted up his eyes, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Verse 4. But Esau ran to him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. You notice how Jacob goes before the rest of his family? <clears throat> the old Jacob probably would have put himself at the end, furthest away from Esau. But the new Jacob is a changed man. He's braver because he wrestled with God. And he knows God will be faithful to what he has promised. Turns out Esau didn't want to kill Jacob. God brought Jacob safely home. And more than that, God reconciled the brothers, despite what had happened 20 years before. In Genesis 35, verse 9, it reads this. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. And so he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Verse 14. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken to him, Bethel, Bethel, house of God. The story of Jacob wrestling with God is so mysterious. There's so many things to uh, take away from this passage of Scripture. Here's a few to think about. Wrestling with God may be what you need. Don't let go. Have you ever thought that God's greatest blessing is for you to wrestle him or wrestle with the things he has put in your life? Or put another way, if you have never wrestled with God, have you really encountered God? In this story, Jacob's prayer while alone is a commendable honesty. He's wrestling with the fact that he may be getting what he deserves, and only God can save him. Listen, we all want things in life. A lot of times it's money, power, or fame. But actually what we want is happiness. We think these things will bring us happiness, but they don't. What we really need to be happy is to be loved. And there's no greater love than God's love, which lasts forever and which alone can satisfy our souls. Sometimes God has to get our attention. So instead of blessing us, he decides to wrestle us. He brings fears and doubts, anxieties, and things we would rather not face because he's trying to get our attention and bring our focus to rest on him. He wants us to know that he is the source of all of our blessings in life and that we're powerless to get them ourselves. So today, if you're facing a disability, an illness, a difficult family situation, a recurring sin, or an addiction, whatever the situation may be, I want you to wrestle with it. Strive with it. Don't run away from it. Don't give in. Wrestle. Because in that struggle, God may show you something he wants for you. It may be to acknowledge that you can't win and you need to depend upon him. Maybe 
God wants to show you that with him, you can conquer whatever it is that you're wrestling with. Remember, your weakness is his strength. So be like Jacob. Don't run away from the difficult things that God has put in your life. Wrestle with them. Wrestle with God and don't let go until God blesses you. Second, God may need to hurt you to bless you. What are the lengths to which God will go to save us? How much does God love us? In Jacob's life, he strives for the blessing he already has. Therefore, in the wrestling match, God has to dislocate Jacob's hip to wound him, to get his attention, to remind him of his weakness, so that he will rely upon God's strength. Jacob walks with a limp for the rest of his life. God's hurting of Jacob is a severe mercy. Remember in the beginning when we talked about trust. God cheated and schemed his way through life because he couldn't trust God to bless him. But this might be true of us too. God promises that he is faithful to bless us. Do we put our trust in him to bring his blessing in his good time? Or do we wrong and hurt others to obtain what God has already said he will give us? Maybe in our wrestling with God, God will wound us gently so that we're reminded that our trust shouldn't be in ourselves, but in God. Proverbs 27, 5 to 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. There's no better friend than God. And if we're hurting, one possibility, but only one of many, is that God is getting our attention. He's trying to show us something in his severe mercy. <clears throat> Number three, your shortcomings don't negate God's faithfulness. You would think that after all Jacob had done, he deserved to be killed by Esau. Yet, despite everything, God remained faithful. Why did God remain faithful? Was it because Jacob was so righteous? Not a chance. Our God remains faithful because of his promises, not anything we have done. Excuse me. In your life, when you look back, you may feel that your shortcomings are sin. You may be tempted to think that you don't deserve to receive God's blessing. And you would be right. But remember, even though we should do our best to obey God, God never does things according to how well we obey him. He doesn't bless us because we're so righteous. He blesses us because he said he would. Because we are his children, and he cannot forsake his own. Uh, as the early church hymn sings in 2 Timothy 2, 11-13, it says, This saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Lastly, your greatest blessing is your new identity. In wrestling God, the greatest blessing that we, receive, that we realize uh, is that God is making us into someone new. We strive and work so hard to be the best self that we can be. We want to be true to ourselves. We want to rest in self-achievement, and we want to be great. We want to be winners in life. And there's nothing wrong with achievement, prosperity, health, or working hard. They're all good things. But church, I want to warn you, when these things become our identity, they become our idols. When we lose the wrestling match with God, the greatest blessing God gives us 
is not what we think we're wrestling for. God has not promised us the same things that he promised Jacob. God does not specifically promise us wealth, a fancy house, or a good job. But to us, he promises that he will always be with us. He promises that we are his children. He promises that he will complete a good work in us and through us. And he promises us himself. When we wrestle with God, he gives us a new identity. For us, when we acknowledge God's place in our life and believe in Jesus, instead of our old self, our new identity is a beloved child of God. Loved of God, chosen by God, destined for heaven, called to be salt and light. This identity is the greatest blessing of all. Instead of chasing after fame, fortune, self-glory, we have freedom. We are free of those wants and desires to live the life we were meant to live. A life of trust, love, and seeing a powerful God work miracles in our life and those around us. When God wins, we win. Wrestling with God might seem like a mysterious story, but when you think about it, we have all been there. Maybe you're going through a wrestling match with God at this very moment. Let me encourage you to persevere, not give up until you know God's blessing. At the end of the day, wrestling with God through your fears and anxieties will give you more of God. If becoming like Jesus is the greatest thing God can do for us, then whatever he uses to make that happen is grace. So I've told you the beginning of my story of how I became Israel, and now I get to tell you the ending. Growing up as early as I can remember, my life's ambition was to be great at something. But as a child, I wasn't great at anything. Uh, I played violin, but I made a lot of mistakes in performances. If you ever get a recording of the orchestras I played in high school, during the grand pause when everything is silent for dramatic effect, if you listen closely, you'll hear, eek! That was me on my violin, not reading the music well enough. I tried sports, wasn't very good. I studied hard, didn't get into the colleges I wanted. I dated a lot, but ended up disappointed by all my relationships, which never bought happiness. So my life was a series of intense disappointments. I stopped believing in God. If God loved me, why was life so disappointing? Maybe he didn't love me? What I realize now is that these disappointments, these hurts, these things were put into my life so that God could grab my attention. The same things that hurt me were also a product of his severe mercy. In my first year of college, one late afternoon, I was walking home from class, across a bridge on campus, looking up at a clear blue sky, the clearest, the bluest sky you could ever see. And in front of me, I saw stairs ascend up the hill from the bridge. And on top of the hill, I saw the most beautiful tree, almost glittering with red, gold, orange autumn leaves. And I said to myself, that's got to be God. No one can make anything so beautiful. And then, as I thought that thought, it hit me. God did exist. And God did love me. And the reason why I went through so many disappointments was because he was trying to tell me that those things that I wanted so badly, none of them were going to bring me contentment. None of those things could satisfy me. None of those things 
loved me like Jesus did. What I needed in life was not those things I was chasing after. What I needed most was God himself. That autumn day changed my life. From then on, I told my college friends to stop calling me Jacob and to start calling me Israel. And I've been called Israel ever since that day. That day, I finished a wrestling match with God, and God won. But his victory meant that I had also won because in Christ I had gained all things. Philippians 3, 7-8 says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. If you're wrestling with God today, let me encourage you not to give up until you receive God's blessing. But to win all things, you may have to lose and let God be the one who controls your life. Remember, it's not our righteousness that brings God's blessing. It's God's faithfulness to us at work, in our story, in our families and friends, in our world. In God's faithfulness, we find peace. Before I close in prayer and have Pastor Mike come up and lead us through communion, let me encourage you that if you feel a bit uncomfortable, that's okay. It's your cue to sort things out with God and go to him in prayer today. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads together and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we long to overcome the struggles and challenges that we face in our lives. We, we wrestle with them, and also we wrestle with you. Help us to know that in our wrestling, there is blessing to be found in you. And help us to know, God, that in you, in the new identity you have given us, as your children, there is peace. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness to us. Amen.